So I was thinking, living on the road, right now we're on this back road traveling, and I'm thinking, how else could we get from one place to another in a more scenic way is by just taking the back roads. And I started thinking, well, one way that we could gear our travels versus the big highway is co-ops and where like the local markets are um right you mean do you mean using co-ops as in organic markets as destinations to string together our our travels yeah like uh towns and cities that have local sustainable economy where where they have a market where they use the local food uh, they sell the local food and to use those as like okay this this next town has a local market so let's shoot for that one so that we know that we're one feeding our family really well while we're on the road and two um, being able to support those local uh, farmers and economies better number one eating out is a good way to drastically increase your expenses and also pretty much whenever you eat out you can't guarantee the quality of the food as far as it being natural food organic food grass-fed beef and that sort of thing so as much as I enjoy eating out for the experience it's also something I try to avoid and everybody gets hungry when you're traveling but when you take the throughways, for instance, those are all co-opted by big corporate crap food pushing organizations. So if you take throughways, all you really get are the little stops where you can get gas and go to the bathroom and then you have a limited number of corporate brands to choose from. Exactly. You can't even really get a piece of fruit hardly. So when we travel it's going to be important that we stock up on foods and snacks which is pretty much what we do when we travel anyway right but anytime you run out of food on the road your choices are going to be limited unless we have mapped out organic markets local food farmers markets that sort of thing in advance and and that's what will be really helpful in having social media and uh, the internet at hand because there's so many valuable resources to help us along our route. Yeah, I was thinking that already in this transition where we don't really have solid internet at our house, where what we are able to do is to use, currently our setup is for us to use my iPhone as a mobile hotspot, which is convenient because we have that wherever we go. I'm not happy with the data plan and the pricing structure of it. I think it gets too expensive. So it would be, but I think that uh, ideally, just to have mobile internet is really we don't really need internet that's based out of a specific location, but we do need solid internet pretty much wherever we go. It's our extended intelligence. It's our sensor array. And there's also going to be times where we're not going to be able to, right? We'll probably be in remote areas. Yeah, sure, that can happen. But, hey, there's an RV right there. Do you see it? Parked. That's a nice size. I see all these RVs parked, and I'm just like, don't they want, like, a family to ride in them? <laughs> Couldn't we just ride in it for a bit? 
I'm gonna pour myself a tea. That's the convenience of these cups right here, because you don't have to pour it, you just... Yeah, I know. I felt like using my thermos. There's a cow and a moon. There. Cow and moon. That reminds me of a children's book. <laughs> I think that this particular fall, now that, the, now that it's kind of over for me, it was a really successful fall. I'm really happy with where my workshops went, with the quality of discussions that we had, with the number of them, with the attendance. And now that I've finished that series, and I'm now I'm kind of fall back, regroup, winter break for the next two months, I have a lot of infrastructure I want to build and rebuild. I guess I feel like I'm just at a place where I'm excited about what's coming next. It feels like the end of a chapter, the beginning of the next one, turning the page. Yeah. I'm really pleased with the momentum of where everything's going. I'm really pleased with what happened during the last four months as far as my work goes. I have a lot of infrastructure I want to rebuild. I need to rebuild a calendar. I need to make some changes to my blog. I was going to maybe try to move it from Tumblr to WordPress, but this student of mine sent me some information on improving Tumblr SEO, and I'm going to give that a shot and ho oh. hopefully stick with Tumblr for at least another six months or something. Right. I have some reorganization I want to do on that, and I want to build this store. I think that, I guess, one of the most important things that I wanted to say at this particular juncture... Transition. <clears throat> ...is that... I am really excited about what's been happening with the podcast. I'm liking this raw format, this minimal editing, raw recording format that we've been using. I love it when I see other Cherokees on the road for some reason. It's just like, brother. <laughs> you know, when you have the car and you see the other car, it's like you're kind of in a fraternity. What was I saying? Transition. Blog. Tumblr. I was, I was going to talk about the podcast in the, in the radio program. When I first started doing the podcast, I started off with this kind of raw format, and then I transitioned into a more classic kind of studio-like format with the music bumpers and the voiceover intro and all that and I like that format I think it's really cool but then it got to be too much as far as production goes and it started really eating away at my ability to produce them myself and so then we decided let's go back to the raw recording format and I think we've had a lot of success with that but I believe that there's a place for each one of those formats so what's happened in the last month or so is that, and I don't know if anything's going to come of this, but if this particular situation doesn't work out for some reason, I feel like this is just a pattern that's going to reoccur. And if this doesn't work out, then the next one might or whatever. But there's, uh, it looks like I'll be able to have a weekly program on WRFI Community Radio 88.1 here in Ithaca and Watkins Glen and where I'll be able to do a weekly technology show and the, the details of that have not yet been worked out 
but everything's in motion. So my feeling is that if I have that studio format where I can take calls, that that gives me the ability to have that produced monologue style of classic talk radio program. And then at the same time, we can continue to do these raw recordings, continue to do these interviews on site with people. Like have them coincide with one another. That's exactly what I'm saying. And so I've got the radio show on the radio and then, but we've also got this podcast where we're able to go out to locales, especially in the future as we're on the road, I really want to continue doing this. Right. The thing about this is that I can't keep doing it for free because I just can't afford it. Because for me to record one of these shows and edit it and then post it and annotate it and then seed it it takes a couple days of my time to get a, a single program out there. And right now, cash flow is such an issue that I just feel like I can't take the time to do it. But I'm passionate about doing it. So rather than continuing to focus on this pain work over here and then the podcast is this hobby, I want to shift that. I, I want to monetize the podcast. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a store that allows us to sell sponsorships at various levels, right. including a very inexpensive, basic entry level. You can sponsor my podcast for five bucks on up to $500 and everything in between. And, and then the money from that podcast those sponsorships will then what will that do well that's what we have to figure out i mean the most basic thing is we've got to pay our bills but the evolution that we're moving into the goals and aspirations that we have is that we want to take our show on the road we want to travel as a family we want to unschool as a family the experiences that we've had in the last year with starting with the Rod Serling Conference, Tweetstock, the Singularity Summit, Maker Fair. These have all been kind of a beta runs to that have inspired me to want to do this sort of thing more. And what we've seen is we've seen opportunities come out of this to interview people and to provide sponsorships to people who are interested in sponsoring the program and getting their name out there because we've been getting lots of plays and downloads on the podcast. So now what we need to do is we need to start just asking people for support. What, what is in development is this idea that we want to make a film about driving across the country. And I don't want to give away too much of it. Yeah, As, I think that's kind of part of it. It, I, I don't want to give away too much of kind of the secret of the format just, and what we we're just, planning to do. But we need to talk about where, where we are in the moment, and that's kind of part of it, is like not talking so much about the past or the future, but being in the moment, and this is what's happening for us right, right at this time. Right, and well, what I conceive of happening is us putting together a fundraising project, a Kickstarter-style project where we're crowdfunding this project to put it together to be able to make this film. And we're gonna need an RV, and we want it to be like a 
veggie grease powered biodiesel RV mainly from my point of view to minimize the expense of driving it with the anticipation that gas prices are only eventually going to be much more than they are now and maybe maybe not it's hard to say I can't predict the future and I hear lots of different opinions but also but I do believe that eventually we we are going to be in a peak oil kind of situation even if that's 10 20 years from now I don't know but with the demand on petroleum coming out of places like China and India it seems like gas prices will continue to climb. That's kind of beside the point. But also what I wanted to say was that our idea is a, what I've been calling a sustainable nomadic lifestyle and life learning the way, our way, and by putting it you know, out there via your podcast and just telling our story. Right. The idea also of the veggie fuel is that we do believe in a sustainable lifestyle and, and eating, like we were talking about, eating locally and sustainably and consciously. So that it's not just peak oil that's that's given us the boost to move towards a veggie-powered vehicle, but mainly because we believe in that lifestyle as well. Well, and can I say something kind of as a side note as far as sustainability goes? Because... What I believe is that we have set up a a highly technological civilization and we haven't thought much about the consequences of what we've done. When Henry Ford invented the automobile and and built these factories to mass manufacture it, I don't know that he could conceive of the situation that we have today with the number of cars that we have, with the freeways that we have, with the gridlock and the traffic jams and what happens where civilization then becomes so dependent upon the automobile that it's based upon it it's based upon electricity it's based upon computers and then we have a situation like we did with Hurricane Sandy and we see what the results are when people don't have electricity when they don't have electricity you can't pump gas you can't drive the cars everything grinds to a halt that to me is there's a pink toilet in there that was weird (laughs) That to me is a prime example of what sustainability is about, is that you build your community and your civilization with these sorts of things in mind. If you can't withstand a power outage of two weeks, you do not have a sustainable situation. You do not have, if you can't feed yourself, if there's no food in the area, if there's no water in the area, if you can't live without electricity or without gasoline, you do not have a sustainable community. Now, I also wanted to say this about it. I think that in some circles, unfortunately, the term sustainable or sustainability is becoming a bad word. And that's because it is being used to dictate from the highest levels. It's being co-opted by organizations that want to dictate how people have to live. And when organizations come in that are supported by the United Nations or something and they come in and they buy up giant tracts of land and designate them as you can't use them the humans are not permitted to use them through eminent domain they take homes away from people 
because they say, well, you have a wetland. Well, we have a puddle in our yard. It's not a wetland. It's like, well, in, in situations like that where it starts to become a bureaucratic, fascistic kind of system, in some circles, the term sustainability is starting to scare people or or they're getting a bad idea of what it is because of those types of applications. And I'm not really sure what the remedy is for that, but I just wanted to raise that point. Then when I talk about sustainability, uh, personally, I'm talking about a grassroots effort because I believe in the individual and I believe in the power of individuals to work together to change things. I believe in, in power from the bottom up, not from the top down. And when power comes from the top down, and it's being enforced at the point of a gun, I don't care what your values are. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. On the road again. I just can't wait to get on the road again. I think we need to talk about home ownership and the American dream and our experiences and banks and mortgages and, and how that I think, ties in. I think we have situation. to talk a little bit about our past in order to get to where we are present. I also think we need to talk about this idea of telling our story just to make sure that we're on the same page. Okay. A week or two ago, you came to me and you said, so I'm putting it out there. I'm telling people that we're going to move into this nomadic lifestyle. Do you remember when you came to me and you said that? Yeah. And I don't know who you were referring to. But I thought, good, because I think that, that when you speak things, that you help them come into being. When you yeah. speak your intentions, that's an important step in making them happen. Definitely. Okay. So then, um, this week, we decided to put our house on the market. We decided to sell our house. Yep. And so we had a realtor come over on Saturday. We signed the papers. Our house, as of, was it today? Yeah. Is officially on the market and for sale. So I put a post on Twitter and on Facebook, and I said, so we've decided to move and, or, and put our house on the market and stay tuned for more. Yeah. And then several people, both on Twitter and Facebook, sent me messages back that said, where are you moving? Everybody wants to know. That seems to be the overall question. I didn't really want to get into the whole nomadic lifestyle RV in, in subject yet. Chat. Yeah. And so I just said, well, I mean, we have a transitional kind of plan in mind. And so I just said, yeah, it's complicated. But the short answer is Lansing, New York, which is a big rural area. It's basically still right outside of Ithaca. It's not that big of a change. And a lot of people were very nice, I gotta say. People who, like to hear in Ithaca, who, who, yeah. were, who were kind of surprised, like, oh, we don't want you to go. And then, and then I loved it. Uh, acquaintance of mine who I met at Tweetstock, this uh, Karen SD, she's always kind of elbowing me, like, we need to move to Canada. <laughs> And she's like, oh, good, really this will make nice. it easier for you to come to Canada, you know. And and, uh, and I, I appreciate her politics a lot, and I think that's that's kind of part of what she's talking about here is the political climate. Yeah. But 
then I guess it, I didn't say anything to you about this, and then it got back to you through a friend of ours that I had put this post up on Facebook, and then you came to me kind of concerned, and I don't, I didn't really understand that, because we had agreed we're going to make this part of the story that we're telling, and I, I feel like the reason you were concerned is that it just, that I didn't come, it didn't, you didn't hear about it through me, that you heard about it through somebody else because you're not on Facebook. And I, I, I just needed to be said that I'm not going to put anything out there that's going to compromise our privacy or security, but I, this is a personal story, and I want to tell it in a personal way. I agree. It just caught me off guard, that's all. For me, it's about a, it's it's a like I feel like it's a safety issue. It's like I don't I don't really want people to know that oh we're gonna be in this next town. I kind of want to you know I don't know. I'm just. I'm, Do you I'm, mean when we're traveling? Yeah. I agree with that, but yeah. also I think that I I guess I feel like that's something we have to decide on a case by case basis, and that it's something that we need to always be make sure that we are openly communicating about. Because there's going to be plenty of times when we're going to be going to an event and we're going to need to advertise that fact. There's also going to be times when you just, you know, a moment ago, talked about using social media. Oh, when yeah. We're going to want to be able to use social media to say, hey, we're coming into this town, we need a place to park or we need a place to eat. I guess I'm just needing to let go of that. And so it's hard because I'm kind of a, I'm more of a private person and I don't, I mean, I stopped using Instagram because I felt like I was putting too much of my kid's life out there for them, you know, and it's not my, it's, it's not my place to put their every move online for everybody to see, to like expose them so that their life is written out there so that anybody could do a search on them and say, oh, I can see exactly like what was going on on, you know, yeah. this day. And what they were wearing, everything, you know? What was this thing you were showing me? I think it's a really intriguing idea where you could send a picture, but it automatically self-destructs. Yeah, I can't... I think it's called Snapchat. It's a, it's a fine line. I don't know what's going to happen with it, so... Well, I just think that's an interesting idea. It's like, what if your the photo that you posted online automatically self-destructed in some way? It's not to say that... If you post a photo, anybody could take a picture of that photo or do a screen capture and then and grab it that way. Yeah. If well, it's, that's the thing. It's not a, you can't ever have it be 100% private because if you send it to somebody and, in, and if it self-destructs in 10 seconds or is... I mean, you could set it for one second. You could set it for anywhere, 10 being as much. I guess that's what they're putting out there. But anybody could take a screenshot in that time. Right. And anybody could also take another phone and, like, take a picture of it. It did say in the article that I was reading that if somebody takes a screenshot while they're looking at that picture that you sent, that it will send the person who sent the picture a message stating that a screenshot, ha a screenshot has been captured. Mm -hmm. So that's like one thing that I thought was interesting about it, but then, on the other hand, if someone takes it with another device or something, there's no way of telling yeah. if it's been captured or not, you know? Yeah. So, um, but I thought that that was interesting. 
And I don't know, maybe maybe the company who did it is keeping all of them. Maybe they're right. maybe they're taking them all and filing them in their own way. Well, and I think that this is the really disturbing trend that we're seeing. We saw this with TwitPic, we've seen it with Facebook, that these companies are essentially saying that if you upload any content to our servers that we then own all of these rights to that content. And it includes like right to redistribute and use in What's Instagram now? Ancillary like, works. Well, Instagram is owned by Facebook. It's owned by Facebook now. So I don't know what their policy has changed, but I remember I mean back in the earlier days of Twitter, I used to use TwitPick. And then when it came out that they had announced that, hey, we own all of your images, I went up and I deleted every image that I'd ever posted on TwitPick. I didn't know that about TwitPic. And I and I don't even think TwitPic's really around anymore. Twitter has its own. I don't know if it is TwitPic or what. I just know that you can upload photos directly to Twitter now. And this is pretty interesting. And I don't know, maybe we'll get into a Facebook discussion here because I've been wanting to talk to you about changes that I've made to my Facebook and a bunch of what's going on. Looks like Awigo is going to be putting on a Christmas rendition of a Christmas story over here. A Christmas story? A Christmas story. It's set on that little building there. Fudge! <laughs> Only I didn't say fudge. That's cute. Look, a Grandma's Cottage. I said the word. The F-dash-dash-dash word. I, I just wanted to say one other thing about Facebook at this time. I recently discovered... That's it right there. Actually. Oh, that is it right there. Yeah. <clears throat> I recently discovered that all of my messages, which I diligently delete from Facebook, were still on there. And, and there's always been this kind of rumor that goes around that well, people say once you put something on Facebook, it's always on there. Like it can never really truly be deleted, and I really feel like this is that this is true. That I experienced something that made me really see the reality of that, and I don't use Facebook for messages a lot. I prefer my email over that, and so I do a pretty good, consistent job of deleting messages off of my Facebook. Well. I think one day Facebook was having some issues and I did a search and a little article that I read said in, if you're having trouble using regular web-based Facebook, try using the mobile version, which is m.facebook.com. Okay. So I went on m.facebook.com and I logged in and it essentially like gives you the mobile interface like you would have on your phone. It's a simplified interface. And I went and looked at my messages, and there's all these messages. And then I started looking, and it was like hundreds and hundreds of messages that I had deleted from the service over Whoa. the past couple of years. Whoa. Hundreds and hundreds of them. And I was like, that's all in there. All of these messages. When you click the delete button, Is does delete wanna... not mean delete? Right. It doesn't say archive. It doesn't say hide. Hide from the user, but keep on the server. It says delete. And to me, if they're saying it delete and they're not deleting, that's a kind of false advertising. That that's a lie as to what's really happening. This way, right? Yeah, 
So it makes me think, like, I, like, when I decided that I wasn't going to use my personal Facebook profile anymore, which was, like, a year or two ago, and I wrote a script to go through and delete all of my posts. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, is everything I ever posted on Facebook still on there, even, even if I have gone in and deleted it? I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure. I believe. I had to get off Facebook. Are you aware of anything that's been going on with Facebook recently with these changes to the algorithm? Nope. I, I only know from back when I was on it. I have, I, there it's, are things that I miss about Facebook that I really enjoyed about Facebook. And those are the groups and being able to have those kinds of conversations with like-minded people, that kind of thing. I like that. I enjoyed connecting with some people from my life um, and others not so much. And so, and it was kind of a force of like, well, this person is like friending you and I'm the type of person, like, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. Like, I'm just like, I was, was like, okay, and made that connection. Because even though in real life, in, in not, re- that's real life as well, but what I'm talking about is in the face-to-face world. Yeah. I am connected to people. I'm connected to people in, in, in my day-to-day. But I don't need to hear every single thing about each individual person that I'm connected to. It's too overwhelming. It's, it's not how I want to view the person. I see people in different ways, and it's just like, I like that experience of the face-to-face. <clears throat> I am connected to people virtually, and I... And I I, I like Twitter for that reason, because, it, I don't know, I, I stay connected with people. People find me, people who want to find me will find me, and I don't need to be connected because you know my name. You know my name, you know who I am in the face-to-face, and so I'm going to friend that person. And I just got to the point where I'm like, I don't know what else I'm going to put up here, I, I, you know? I don't need to be reassured by anybody. And I started feeling dependent on it in that way. And I started feeling bad that, oh, nobody liked that post or nobody, yeah. nobody is... And, the, and this is the and thing. I'm, and I'm spending my time on this. And so I started feeling like I was doing it more for validation than right. anything. And I don't need to be validated. And it's something that I needed to just learn by saying, I don't need this. It was just one of those things that I don't need this in my life. I don't need to be validated. Let me jump in here for a second because... Number one, it's really interesting. I think what you're saying is an experience that a lot of people have is that it's obviously a very personal experience and what people say to you and the response that you get from a post matters to you, okay? And, and it definitely affect, affects me on a personal level too. But what I have found, what I have really discovered over time, but it's, it's really come to a head in the last couple of months is that Facebook is very much manipulating the news feed in a very artificial way to control what you are being shown and manipulating whether or not your posts are being seen by others on Facebook. So you say, well, we've all had that experience where we put something up on Facebook and it doesn't get any reaction and we assume that everything that we're posting on Facebook is being seen by all of our friends and and it's 
the opposite is true. First of all, you don't know who's on Facebook at any given moment. Even of, of, your, of your friends who are on Facebook at, at a, in a given day, that doesn't mean that they looked at the news feed. Maybe they got on there, they posted their own stuff, and they responded to other interactions that they had. Maybe they didn't even go and look to see what everybody else was posting. There's a lot of people, I think, who use Facebook in that way. They use it as a way to broadcast, but they don't really use it as a way to check in with others. Those are the people you see on, that you're friends with on Facebook, and you never hear from them. They never like your posts. They never comment on your posts. But the, yet they're on Facebook all the time. So that's one thing. But what you have to realize is that, is that there is this artificial algorithm called edge rank that Facebook is constantly rewriting, manipulating, and tweaking so that every post on Facebook has this algorithm attached to it. And you, as an individual user, have an algorithm attached to you. So when you post something on Facebook, Let's say you post a, a simple text message, and, and let's say that I see your text message on Facebook and I click the like button. Well, that alters the algorithm. It, it essentially says to Facebook, when Phoebe posts something, when Phoebe posts a text message, in the past, you've liked it. And so that means that we're gonna show you more of those in the future. Now let's say the next day you decide to post a photo. Maybe I'm not on Facebook that day. Maybe I wasn't looking at the feed that day. Or maybe I just didn't like your photo for whatever reason. Well, now Facebook goes, hmm. When Phoebe posted a photo, Mateo didn't like it. And then that affects the algorithm so that the next time you post a photo, I'm less likely to see it. So when people look at the news feed, it's this completely artificial system of censorship that boosts some posts and doesn't show other and the whole really the whole idea is to boost Facebook's profits it's it's, it's all for Adver the, the stockholders okay. it, it's 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 Facebook's philosophy is that they want to always be increasing quote engagement and what you don't want in your feed is a bunch of posts that you're not interested in you don't want in your feed people you're not interested in. You don't want the types of posts that you're not interested in. And Facebook figures that based on your past likes and clicks and comments, that it's going to show you more of the same types of content so that you will continue to be engaged by the service. They want you to be on there. They want you to be on there for a long time so that they can serve out more advertising. To, okay. So there, there's this algorithm in place that's manipulating the system. And now, when I post something and it doesn't get any likes or comments, I don't feel like, oh gee, nobody liked my post. I think, oh, screwing me with that algorithm again. Nobody even saw this post. Now, in September of 2012, Facebook made one of the biggest changes to the EdgeRank algorithm that it's ever made and it started throttling fan pages. Now throttling is an artificial constriction of, of flow of information or bandwidth. And so it used to be that, well, if you had a fan page, you kind of assumed you were in the same level playing field as anybody else who was posting on Facebook. So what Facebook started doing was artificially restricting the reach of fan pages. So now, 
let's say, like, I had a thousand fans on my fan page. Now Facebook is saying that on any given post, you're only going to be able to reach 10 to 20% of your fans with that post. Let me say that again, because this is really key. I'm listening, yeah. You cannot reach your fan base with your posts on Facebook. Right. They're saying you can only reach 10 to 20%. So that means that if I have a thousand fans on my fan page, the maximum number that are going to see that post is 200. Facebook is going to cut me off. Even if those people are on Facebook looking, even if I have a good engagement on that message, Facebook is going to artificially limit the number of people. And then what they do is they put a little button on the bottom of your post that says promote. And when you click on promote, you have an option to pay to get that post out to the people who have liked your page. No way. Yeah. So for me, with a thousand fans, it was five bucks to reach about half of my fan base, 10 bucks to reach my entire fan base, and 15 bucks to be reached about twice my fan base. So I can't reach the people who have liked my page. So Facebook has proliferated itself all over the web with these like buttons everywhere, gotten everybody hooked on it, like our brand, like our brand, like our brand, and now going, oh gee, I guess you can't reach everybody who's liked your brand. You're gonna have to pay for it now. Well, that's the way they're making their money. Well, that's I, the way the stocks go. And just like you want to advertise, you want to do sponsorships on your thing. That's that's their thing, you know. And well, so, but it's a bait and switch. Yeah. They've been promoting this for the last couple of years and gotten all of these like buttons right. all over the internet everywhere, and and then they have changed the rules well, in be, the middle of the game. Well, it would be kind of like, okay. Now, if you want to listen any further now, you're going to have to pay a dollar so that you can hear the rest of this podcast. See you in a moment. <laughs> it's basically saying, hey, use our valuable service to get people to like your brand so that you can talk to them. And after about two years of people doing that, then they say, oh, well, now you're going to have to pay money if you want to reach that audience. And, and, and also, the other thing that I don't like about this is that, did you hear where I said I could pay $15 to reach twice my audience? Ah. Okay, that means that by paying a little extra, my post will not only go out to everybody who's liked my page, but it will also go out to all of their friends, even if they haven't liked my page. Uh -huh. so, I can, so I can essentially pay to have my post promoted on Facebook to go out to people who haven't even liked my page. Mm -hmm. I just think that with their disastrous IPO, the fact that their advertising revenue has been decreasing 2% year over year, I think they're desperate. So what I did, you want to know what my reaction was to this? Yeah. Facebook. I deleted every single post to my fan page. I got the same script out. I deleted everything on there. I put up one post on there that said, I'm not going to use this fan page anymore. And I went over to my personal page, and I completely changed the way that I was using my personal page. Okay. I basically said, I'm going to use my personal page to engage with a wider audience. I'm going to change my personal social media policy, where instead of only friending people in a tight net circle, now I'll, I'll do it to anybody could be my friend on Facebook. I'll change what I post on there. Right. I, I set up my personal profile so that it allows subscribers. 
subscribers means that anybody on Facebook can click the subscribe button and get my posts in their feed without becoming my friend. It's oh. more like Twitter. It's like a one-way street. They can subscribe to my posts without me automatically subscribing to theirs. Okay, okay. Interesting. I went from having about 80 friends on Facebook to about to about 580. So I, I picked up about 500 Facebook friends in the matter of, of a few weeks. My engagement has dramatically improved. I can post stuff now. I don't have to worry about getting throttled. I still have to deal with the algorithm, BS. But I understand a lot about how to play that game on Facebook. The more likes and comments you get on the post, the more it improves its score and the more people will see it. And I've been seeing a lot of hubbub out there. Big, big, big names saying we're not going to use Facebook anymore for brand engagement. We're switching our priorities around. Uh -huh. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't take Facebook. Facebook. I'm just not. I'm just not a fan. I don't like it either. And let me just say one more, one last thing about it that I discovered. I decided I wanted to take a more aggressive approach through outreach on Facebook. So I started looking through friends, and if I found somebody who we had lots and lots of friends in common, because Facebook will show you, yeah. you have seven friends in common, you have 20 friends in common. Sometimes I'm finding people who I have 50, 70 friends in common with. I would go ahead and send those people a friend request. And lots and lots of those people will accept my friend request, and I may, because of that, I'm talking with people now I'm meeting people now, even people here in Ithaca, who I haven't engaged with before, who I'm starting up conversations with. That's awesome. Okay, so that's really cool. Yeah. But then I got a message from Facebook when I logged in the other day that said, you can't do that. What? It said, it basically said, dear Mateo, you cannot friend people on Facebook unless you know them in real life. And I was like, what? What? So I can't use Facebook as a way to meet people? I can only be friends with people I already know, because I guess what happens is when somebody sends you a friend request... That is just ridiculous, utter nonsense. I know, can you imagine being on Twitter and, and having Twitter tell you, you can't follow this person because you don't know them in real life? Isn't it about being engaged, engaging with people? Not if you think about it from the shareholder standpoint, which is, it's all about engagement. It's all about keeping people hooked into Facebook and keeping their feed as high value as possible. So unlike Twitter, which allows you to just follow anybody that you want to experiment, on Facebook you can't do that because they don't want it to dilute your feed. They don't want you friending people that you don't know because they don't want your posts in their feed and their posts in your feed because you might not like them. And so it basically said, hey, you can't friend people unless you know them in real life because what happens is, is when somebody receives your friend request, they have the option to click a, a little button or a checkbox that says, I don't know this person. So if you send a fresh friend request to somebody and they check off, I don't know this person, Facebook comes back to you and says, why are you friending people that you don't know? And then it threatens you and it says, if you keep doing this, you're gonna be banned from sending further friend requests. And I was like, Will the madness ever end? <laughs> One of my favorite things to do is to complain about Facebook on Facebook. Love it. Absolutely love criticizing, using the service to criticize it. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I, from the reactions that I get, I feel like a lot of people are out there hungry about it. It's like, oh, you're not allowed to criticize something if you're using it. Really? I'm a user. 
I'm supposed to criticize it. I'm supposed to give my feedback. That's how um, capitalism works. It's called customer feedback. Right. At least that would be like positive where it's heard. Like you've had experiences where you've been a user of, was it Vimeo? Viddy. Viddy. And they've gotten back to you and have been like... They were really good, yeah. You know, and getting back to you and saying, we appreciate your input. And I've like, had a lot of services do that. Just most recently, it was TweetReach. Okay. I, I use TweetReach almost every day to see how many impressions I've created and what my reach is like. How many accounts I'm reaching. And all of a sudden, one day last week, I logged in and my own contributions were missing. So my engagement metrics on TweetReach dropped from like a million impressions down to like 35,000. And from like 100,000 accounts down to like 5,000 accounts. And I was like, oh man, I hope, I hope, I hope that TweetReach isn't pulling a clout and suddenly just making a big shift in the way they do their metrics. Yeah. So I tweeted them, and I basically said, Dear TweetReach, please don't pull a clout, and what's up with this? And they tweeted me back within like a half an hour. Yeah. And they were super nice about it, and they said, send us a, they said, from our angle, it looks fine. Send us a screenshot, Send us right? a screenshot. I sent, I emailed them a screenshot. They emailed me back. They were totally nice. They said, our engineers are looking at it. We haven't changed our algorithm. There's some sort of an error that's causing this to happen. Be assured that... We're doing what we can. You know, yeah. that, that your metric isn't going to change. They were totally nice. Emailed me very personally back and forth. And I've had similar experiences with Communit. And that's the way that brands need to handle complaints in, in this in the Twitter era of transparency All right, maybe I didn't well I've been wanting over. to tell you about that whole Facebook thing because it's been going on for it. this change in the algorithm happens in September and I've been teaching every week yeah. social media, internet marketing and so I've had so many lovely rag sessions in the classroom, talking to people about what's happening. And I can tell you that a lot of people are really discouraged. A lot of people are using Facebook for business marketing. Small businesses are really discouraged with what's happened. They've worked really hard to get these likes. They've spent advertising money. They've spent time on putting their Facebook page and all of their materials. Do I need to get over again now? You just want to stay on 17 East. I'm drinking that green white tea blend that, from Celestial Seasonings. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, well, it's uh, I ran out of mine. Mine doesn't hold as much tea as your little farm is there. It's hot. <clears throat> a little over five years ago, we bought a house near Ithaca, New York. After leaving Colorado. After leaving Colorado. 1,800 miles with a U-Haul trailer and a three-year-old in the back seat. I think it's interesting that we bought that house in 2007 because what year is famed to be the big year of the financial, the beginning of the financial meltdown and the housing bubble burst and the mortgage crisis and everything? Do you know what year that was? 2008. 2008. 
So we bought our house one year before the whole meltdown happened. And you know what? We essentially just found out that our house has dropped in value about $10,000 since five years ago when we bought it. And this, and, and New York has been a relatively stable area with regards to housing prices, home prices. So it, it, when you take that in combination with the fact that during the beginning of a mortgage, you're barely paying anything on the principal anyway. We've essentially lost money on the house, and we are, it is yet to be determined what the end result of that situation is going to be. But given everything that I've learned in those five years, and I've learned a lot in the last five years about a lot of things, about myself, about my work, about our relationship, about our family, about the way that the world works, about the financial system, about the business world, I wouldn't I would not choose to buy that house again if I was presented with the opportunity knowing what I know now. I don't know what the future is going to bring, but with the current state of the economy in the world and in this country, for somebody like us in our financial situation, I do not find home ownership to be a wise course of action. And a lot of people I've been reading are switching well, a lot of people have become homeless. A lot of people have lost their houses. There's been a lot of foreclosures. And a lot of people have switched to renting. A lot of people who might, who might have gotten into homeownership have decided to rent instead. It seems kind of like an increasing gap with a shrinking middle class of those who own property owning even more property. And our idea of what we want to be doing in the future is this is one of the roots of that desire and that decision to go nomadic that we essentially, and I don't want to speak for you, but for me, I basically have given up on that idea of the American dream. It's somebody else's dream. It's not every American's dream. It's... it's well, but the American dream the classically is considered home ownership. The American dream, you, think you build the career, you buy the home. That's why people came here. Yeah. The, the, the 1950s suburbia idea of what life in America is or is supposed to be. And it's like what I was talking about with, what was the name of the lady from EcoWomb? Angela? That mortgage. And I went and looked this up because I think it's really a really interesting word. I mean, mort, mortality, mortal. Mort means death. So, and, and I guess the gauge part of that word essentially means pledge. So why do we have this thing called a death pledge? When we buy a house. When we buy a house. And I guess that I looked into the history of the etymology and the idea being that, the, that it was a pledge that you made that could only be broken by death. Or you're paying it out until you're dead. So you're tied to this until you're dead because it takes 30 years to pay it off, so you're buying your house really young. It's a really interesting notion, and if you think about it, it's it seems like a relatively new idea, that you're going to spend half of your life paying for your home, that, that the world is so stable that you can pick a home and that you can live in it for that long of, amount of a time, and that you would want to, that you could build a business or make a living and be in one place like that for that long of a period of time. And it seems like really very few people actually do that. Right. But I don't want to do that anymore. The only way I would want to buy a house is if 
I could buy it out of pocket. Right. You're really just paying to squat somewhere. If and you have to maintain it. Whereas, far as like if you were renting, then the person who has the means to rent out this property, and uh, as far as you know, maintaining the property, as much as the person wants to be a nice person and maintain it or not. Unless you're living in an economic environment like we had during the 90s, where you can buy a house and it's going to appreciate in value, or you can flip it because you get a good deal on it and you can put a little bit of work in it, into it and make some money off of it, it seems like really you're just putting money in somebody else's pocket. I mean, by the time you get done paying for a 30-year mortgage, you've, you've ended up paying twice the value of, of whatever the home is worth. So you're just paying somebody to lend you the money. And with fractional reserve banking, the bank doesn't even have the money to give it to you. Anyway, it's, it's totally fraudulent. They're just putting some numbers in a computer and they're saying, well, because we have $1 on deposit, we can loan out. You know, and by the time they loan it out and it gets redeposited, they're leveraging things like a thousand times. And it's, it's such a racket. It's what a business to be in. Hey, we'll make money out of thin air and we'll charge you to use it. So that's a big part of my desire in going into this nomadic lifestyle is I don't want to be a part of that system. And I also feel like the world is getting into such an unstable place that it doesn't make sense in a lot of ways to hunker down in one location. And if, if you look evolutionarily at species on this planet, mobility was always one of the most essential attributes for survival. I mean, just think about what it's like to pay all that money into a mortgage and you happen to live down on Sandy Point. You, you, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. And I would rather be able to go and explore. I want to explore. I want to, I'm, I'm dying to go back to Colorado. I want to go and explore Utah and Idaho and, and, and I want to see more of Canada. I want to go back to Vancouver Island. I want to see more British Columbia. I'd like to drive the Alaskan Highway. What a better way to life learn, you know, than to, instead of being in one spot, being able to have hands-on experience about the world around you. Well, in an upcoming broadcast, I really want to talk about our educational philosophy. I want to talk about unschooling. I want to talk about the education establishment. It is not a conversation that I've really been looking forward to having in public. And I talked about this actually a couple weeks ago in a workshop, that education is one of those subjects that people get completely rabid over. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a very, very touchy subject because everybody has their opinion to it. And it's not... I. Well, there's lots of things that everybody has their opinion, but people are invested in education right. personally. Sure. They've made choices, and how dare you even suggest that an educational situation exists or has any validity outside of what they personally have invested their own children in because it makes the suggestion that they're not making the best choice for their kids. And I think that it's important to say that whatever works for the individual family is like where I where I come from inside of myself, it's like whatever choice you're making is the best thing for your family, just as much as the choice that I'm making is the best thing for my family, and I honor that. I honor that about you. You've made the choice because it's right for you. I've made the choice because it's right for me. Let we can 
I'll listen to what other, how other people view education and, and how it's working for them in their life. Yeah. I just want to see some cracks in the hegemony. What the hell is a hegemony? It's, it's, uh, it's like a dominant paradigm that controls the system. Oh. It's kind of like a monopoly in a way, okay. only of thought. Or of a way, or procedure, a way of doing things, and we've locked it. We've become locked into one very specific educational model, and I think that the that the acceleration of technology and the internet and the economic climate dictates that we need to review our assumptions. Definitely. So I don't want to have that conversation now, but no. it's coming. Yeah, it sounds good. It sounds good. I'm down for that. I just feel like I'm excited. Okay, I'm excited too about lots of things. Yeah, I'm excited about where where we're going and what the future is going to bring for us. I see the horizon and it gets me excited and it's something that I've always wanted to travel. I mean, when you and I met, that's what we did. I mean, the first time that you came out to New York to visit me, we went on our first road trip up to Niagara Falls and had an awesome time. That was a good time. And then, um, so then, when I came out to Colorado to visit, it was like another trip. Another trip. And then we took the road trip where we drove through Canada. Yeah, when we I went then to Montreal. When I, moved, when I moved out to we Colorado, to, we lived out of my neon for the most part. Well, I wouldn't say we lived out of it. We took a ten-day trip in a Dodge Neon, which is a long time to be in a little tiny car. And there was a couple of times when we slept in it, like at rest stops or whatever. But, yeah, we drove through Montreal and Toronto and back down into Michigan. We went to South Dakota. We went to Mount Rushmore. And then we and, and then we got into the VW van, which led us on... Yeah. Once we, we had a, what was it, a 90 Westie? Yeah. Water-cooled engine. Engine's still in the back, though. Yeah, but we drove that. We went on a couple different road trips, one up to... Did we go all the way to Van? We, we went all the way to Vancouver Island, yep. took the ferries, Seattle, and then we took a road trip to Florida and went all the way down to. The Keys. Well, actually, we didn't go to the Keys. We, we, one time we flew to Orlando. Oh. We got tired of the whole Disney scene. We rented a car and we drove down to the Keys. Another time we drove all the way to Florida and then we drove all the way up the East Coast, all the way to Lubeck, Maine, which is yeah. the easternmost point of the U.S., yeah. and back. That, ro- that one road trip is like 10,000 miles or something. That was a month and a half we, we, lived, we were in that van on yeah. that particular trip. Yeah. And then we traveled to Hawaii and backpacked. And, 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 I just, o- and I, so, I, so with all of that, now we have, we have a family and I want to explore more with this next generation. Well, and what I, I, me too, and what I'm really interested in is going to more of these gatherings. There's all of these conferences and trade shows and fairs that there's opportunities to cover them from a journalistic standpoint with the podcast, with the blog, but also there's lots of opportunities opening up for me to be able to speak and present and offer workshops and consult and just network with people at these things. So I see that is you were talking earlier about using like co-ops as a way to draw the dots to connect on the map. And I'm also looking at trade shows and conferences as another way of saying, hey, there's this, you know, conference in 
Austin, Texas in the spring. There's this festival. Let's go to that. Well, and I also, to tie in to um, our conversation with Eco Womb with Angela, was the idea of caravanning, too, that yeah. she brings up about other families who get together and travel for a bit together and having that community as well. There's so many different options in life, and I feel like buying into, for me personally, staying stable in one house is kind of constrictive, constrictive for me. Like, I need to be mobile, and if, and if I can't afford to to do that then I start feeling stuck in my life and I and then that brings down a downward spiral of my productivity my mood and I would rather be a bit more nomadic for a healing process for me to be able to like go and see and do and be a part of another way of life well and I want the kids to see the U.S. while they still can and I, th- and I don't know that the, the freedom of travel that we take for granted now, if you're going to be able to drive from state to state, I think that there's a good possibility that could become limited in the future, where it could become a lot more difficult to travel from state to state, where you might be required to have a passport, depending on what happens. Checkpoints def- at borders of states. What's che- that? Checkpoints at borders of states. Yep. I can't predict the future, but I just feel like the more instability there is in the world, the more the every action causes an equal and opposite reaction. So the more instability there is, the more the reaction is, is to control things more. So we see that over and over again with things like TSA and Department of Homeland Security, that they just everybody wants things to be controlled. And so as things get wilder and wilder, simultaneously they'll also become more and more controlled. So I see like our freedom to travel could erode over time. And so I think that we have a long road ahead of us. Brumchi. In as far as getting this veggie powered RV, we don't know how we're gonna finance that. We've got to transition out of this house. We have to come up with move into the co housing situation that we're hoping will help us yep. transition. And going out to more and more of these events it's it's not going to be the end of one chapter open another one and it's all done it's like there's several chapters that are transitory in between now and then which we need to make as smooth as possible and we want to tell that story and we desire to engage with the world in telling that story that people come along with us that they follow our progress that they listen to our stories of what's happening that that as we meet people along the way and we capture those stories and tell those stories. Because I think it's a, this isn't just a random thing that we're doing. There's, there's big shifts happening in the world and those are evident. The, the, what's happening in our lives are a part of that. It's a result of that. It's a symptom of that. It's, it's an outgrowth of that. Well, I thought it was really interesting that the realtor that came to the house and was telling us that for five years she lived in a in a school bus yeah traveling around yeah and it was just like i always knew she was groovy and artistic but i didn't know that she had been like a vagabond or a hippie or whatever in in the past she seems like the perfect person to be handling our the sale of the house you guys looking forward to the future yes yeah do you think a good a good future lies ahead for our family 
What, yeah. what about the human species? You have hope for it? I love you guys. Futurama with our family. Futurama with our family? Yeah, tonight. Is that old little cemetery right there?